The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. I'm John Janetta, and I bring you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I'll be one of your hosts for the hour. Today, we're going to be talking about taking a leap of faith and starting a new nonprofit. And to help us have this conversation, we have with us my co-host, Dr. Cheryl G., who's the Vice President of Training and Organizational Development with the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, and our very special guest, Greg Fripp, who's the Founder and Executive Director of Whispering Roots in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, John. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you, John. Happy to be here. Great. So we invite um, each of you in our listening audience to join in our co- on our conversation by calling 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You can also email us by clicking on the email host button on our show's landing page right under the bookmark show link. So, Greg, it's always helpful, I think, to start off the show by... Um, Telling our listeners a little bit more about you uh, just helps them sort of, I think, connect to your story once we kind of get into the meat of it and to understand a little bit more behind possibly how you came uh, to where you are uh, running this um, uh, organization called Whispering Roots. So um, maybe we could just start with there. Where, where, where did you start and how did you get up? Uh, where, how did you get to today running a nonprofit you created? You know, my background's a little varied. I spent some time um, in the Navy. I was both an enlisted member and a Navy officer for about five and a half years. You know, my degree is actually in management information systems, but I've always had a love for growing food, um, growing fish, things of that nature, and helping people. So I spent some time doing that. Uh, following my tour, I left the military uh, as a Navy officer and went to uh, the corporate world, and I ran a recruiting organization at a couple companies, one being Convergence and another one being uh, TD Ameritrade, where I was head of talent acquisition there. Uh, but in the back of my mind, there was always something that said, you know, you need to get back to growing food and trying to help people. So um, that's kind of what led me to starting Whispering Roots. One day I decided that I needed to follow my passion, needed to see if I could do more to help people. And, um, you know, I left the corporate world and decided to enter the nonprofit world, which, you know, I haven't looked back. It's been fantastic. That's, that's great. I mean, that's, uh, that takes a lot of courage. I mean, anybody who starts anything, profit or nonprofit, it's a huge, it's a huge leap, and it's amazing. It's inspiring that you did that. You know, since our show is all about leadership, I think another piece of information that can I, I, I believe is really helpful, uh, and we try to do this with all of our guests, is um, to talk a little bit about who you would describe as, um, I don't know, uh, sort of a best example of a high-impact leader and why? You know, when I think about that, there's so many people that have had an influence on, you know, what I do with my life and, you know, how I run the organization. 
you know, you think about people like, you know, Martin Luther King and, you know, his approach to making change. Uh, you know, you think about Gandhi, things like that. I've done a lot of reading in those areas. And what I try and do is incorporate, you know, their thoughts and ideas into, you know, our smaller community and how can we take their ideas and make them work, you know, in areas like the underserved communities where we operate. Um, so those are some of the folks that I really think about. But, you know, as so I really think about what I need to do and how I operate, you know, I think a lot about, you know, my dad. You know, people talk about their parents and the influence that they had. But, you know, uh-huh. my dad, he was... Um, you know, an Eagle Scout, he was in the military, he was, you know, Navy and or he's Air Force, he was enlisted for about 31, 32 years, Chief Master Sergeant, you know, he did a lot of volunteering time with kids and he coached teams. And I, over the years, I just, I learned from him, you know, watching him operate and watching him work with people and how he led people. And that's really where my leadership style came from. And I mean, he had an impact in so many different areas. There were from the military to the community. I thought if I could, you know, kind of emulate what he does and then incorporate some of the work that, you know, I've read about from Martin Luther King and people like that, that I could become an effective leader as well. And so, you know, bridging, you know, the individual from my dad with uh-huh. the more national level, it really ended up working out. So, it, it, well, it, it having had the pleasure of meeting you and getting to know you, I can say that's a real testament to your dad and what a great guy he was. Oh, yeah. And that's really, I figure if, if I can be successful doing the things I'm doing, then, you know, he once told me, he said, I, you know, I don't care what you do. <laughs> he said, just be the best and give it your uh-huh. all. You know, he said one of those yeah. things where you could be the best garbage man or whatever, but, you know, just give it your best and be uh-huh. the best that you can be at it. So that's kind of where I, my leadership style came from. That's great advice. Um, so, you know, on the um, website, we talked a little bit in the introduction or the, desc- the description of the show about your organization and that it's um, rooted, so to speak, in this um, new area or an evolving area, I guess it's really not all that new, but you're hearing more about it lately, um, is this area of aquaponics. Maybe we could start there and you could talk about, you know, what it is and and why you believe this is a a, a science or an approach that could really help um, people in underserved communities. Sure. You know, with aquaponics, basically what we do is we grow fresh vegetables and fruits in a soilless environment. We use no soil using fish water. So you take a grow bed where we have our fish vegetables. We have a tank where we grow fish. We pump that water from our fish tanks up into our grow beds. There's beneficial bacteria in there that converts the ammonia in the water to nutrient, to nitrate for our plants. The roots from the plants suck that nitrate out, which cleans the water, and we dump the water back into our fish tanks nice and clean. So it's a closed system. What I like to tell people is you think about a healthy lake. If you go to the lake and you see nice, clean water and you see uh, all this lush vegetation growing around the outside of the lake, basically nature doing what nature does best, we take that same principle and we incorporate it into a closed system. And what that allows us to do is we can basically grow up to about 30% more food than traditional growing, um, using about 90% less water. So it's a very efficient system. We don't pollute. We don't dump anything back in nature. And then that allows us to grow these fresh vegetables at the point of consumption. So, you know, it actually started years ago when they had, the Aztecs actually would float crops on water when they, could, they didn't have soil, they didn't have access. So it actually wow, started from that. that principle. Yeah, and that's kind of years ago. You know, the Aztecs were doing this, which helped them, you know, grow all these vegetables and feed their people. So it's a concept that we've kind of taken a modern, put a modern spin on, which is allowing us to go into these underserved communities and grow, you know, these healthy vegetables right at the point of consumption. And you said you can grow more food with less water because you shorten the growing cycle, correct? 
Yeah, basically, um, since we recycle all the water, when you grow traditionally, you lose a lot of water to evaporation, things like that. But with our systems, they're 100% closed and, recyc- and recirculating. So basically, once we put water in, we never dump anything out. We let nature take care of it. So the water gets cleansed by the roots from our vegetables. So the fish can't live without the vegetables. The vegetables can't live without the fish. And it's just emulating what nature does. So that's how we can save more water. Since we only lose a little bit to evaporation since there's closed systems, and the only water that we really lose is the water that the crops uptake as they're growing. And so we just add top-off water. So it's a fantastic technology. It's a fantastic growing process. Uh, you know, I started actually growing and building these systems back in 1999 when people were thinking, you know, people really weren't thinking about um, sustainability and things of that nature. It's kind of been around for a while. And now we're starting to see and more of these types of systems popping up in schools and communities and at universities as they're starting to understand the power of this type of growing. So that was like 11, that was 11 years before you launched Whispering Roots. So initially you started doing this just for yourself, I mean, you were trying to see how this might work. You were was it sort of experimenting, or correct? Um, yeah, that's. And then it correct. was your personal success with that that led you to start thinking about, hmm, I wonder how this could help other people. Right, because you know, when I was in high school, you know, we go way back then. I was always interested in plants and fish growing in biology class. But then, as I started, you know, understanding how aquaponics could possibly work in terms of growing food, when I can make it work in my own basement, I figured this might there might be something to this. So, you know, we started dealing with you know, people around the country, and that's back when the email was in its infancy, and we would start trading. <laughs> we'd mail each other pictures and notes about what we were doing as we tried to make these systems more efficient. And the more that we learned, the more that we saw we could probably use this to grow food, you know, for large masses, because we could literally grow more in our basement than we could eat, than our families could eat. So we figured if we could put this at scale, you know, the potential to go into these areas that we now call food deserts where they don't have access to healthy food, we could potentially feed a lot of people in a very small space. So that's really what started driving me to do it. And, you know, I think about this day and night. (laughs) We had books on growing lettuce and fish. And, you know, back in those days, people really, if they walked into your house and saw, you know, tank fish and plants growing, they really weren't thinking about sustainability. But now you hear that word quite a bit. When you sort of mentioned this before, you know, the technology wasn't as ubiquitous now back then. How did you find these other people that were doing this work that you were collaborating with? Really, it was through reading articles, um, going to libraries, um, and like I said, the Internet was in its infancy back then, you know, just attending, you know, seminars, and you'd read articles in like Time Magazine or Science Magazines, and someone was doing something novel, and you're like, oh, and so we just send them a letter. <laughs> you know, you find an address and send a letter to them, and they respond, or they give you a call, or something like that. That's really how we all started working together. It was basically phone calls, uh, early emails, and letters, and packets, and photocopies. Mm. And I remember, uh, gosh, it was about 1986, going to Disney World and, and visiting the Epcot Center and seeing one of the, one of the um, exhibits was um, all about sort of the future of agriculture. And, and it was, I don't know if it was considered, it was probably hydroponics, because I don't recall that it was, there was a, a system of fish tied to the growing of the vegetables, but the vegetables were all hanging and they were growing without soil. It was just water. Right, so, yeah. So there had been work happening there even, you know. Yeah, they've been doing that for a while. So then when you see Epcot Center, you know, the interesting thing about that, the individuals uh, who were working on that, you know, some of the leaders of that whole Epcot project are actually some of my advisors. You know, I really? ran into those folks and I was at 
um, a seminar down in Arizona, and we sat and we had lunch, and I was talking about my ideas that I had for Omaha, you know, where we operate, and how I was thinking about going into these underserved communities and helping to feed, you know, hungry people using aquaponics. And there happened to be people at the table who were a part of um, and led some of that design work at Disney and the Epcot Center. So they said they were very interested. They thought that what we were trying to accomplish um, was something that they really wanted to support. So they're actually some of my advisors now, and I talk to them on a regular basis about how we can make these systems more efficient. So you're absolutely right. Uh, they were thinking about it all those years ago, and now those same people are helping us feed hungry people in these communities. And, and when was it that you attended that conference and made that connection? Yeah, that was probably 2011, probably April of 2011, I oh. believe. So it was after you had already launched. That's Bernard. correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, I mean, when I walked, I literally, I left my job in about July of 2010. You, know, you just get to a point where I was thinking, if I don't do it now, you know, when am I going to do it? And I really didn't want to look back later on in life and say that I should have done more to help uh, when I had the opportunity to help, because I can always go back and run a recruiting organization somewhere. But um, yeah, I walked away with this idea that it's time to try and give something back. And um, that's when we started looking and started finding these people that were interested in supporting these types of initiatives. And our listeners don't know this because we didn't talk about it in the introduction, but I know that you're married and you have children. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm guessing that you probably had to have a conversation with your wife about this at some point along the way. Correct? Yeah, because, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that you probably made a pretty good salary from TD Ameritrade and uh, went to making no salary <laughs> at Whispering Roots, even though you're the leader. That's exactly right. And I will tell you this. I think in the beginning you talked about uh, leap of faith. And it is a leap of faith. You know, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, good things come to those who give back. But, you know, I also had resources in place that would allow me to do that. There were people, and there still are people who would like to come and join us. And what I had said to them was, you know, you can join us, you know, once the organization is sound, on sound footing, uh-huh. financially stable, that type of thing. But um, I did have a conversation with my wife. And the thing about my wife is she's very supportive. You know, she knows that somehow I always make it work. <laughs> so uh, I told her, and I do have kids, you know, we have children in college. So it was definitely a leap of faith. And I just happened to have the resources available. We'd been saving money, knowing that some, I would do something in the future. That gave me the opportunity to walk away. It's sure. okay. So, yeah, we had that conversation, but she's very supportive. She says, do what you we're like. Gonna, you know? We're going to take a short break, Greg. And, um, and then when we get back, we will talk, I think, a little bit more about um, – a little bit more specific into how, how the vision was created, because I think that's what, when you think of so many people who have these sorts of ideas that don't act on them, we want to give them some tools to really think about how they can make it happen. So um, we will please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. 
That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. We are um, here with Leadership Matters, bringing you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Thank you, co-host uh, Dr. Cheryl G. for joining me today. And with us, My we pleasure. have Greg. And with us, we have Greg Fripp, who's the founder and executive director of Whispering Roots. Great to be here. So, so Greg, um, you were talking. We were talking a little bit about. Um, uh, your, how you kind of came up with your vision and some subject matter experts you went to. And, and just before the break, you were t- describing a little bit about how you had the support of your wife because it was a huge leap of faith and, and obviously created um, um, some significant changes in your whole family and how you were living because of the, um, you know, the, just the changes in the reality of having that regular paycheck. Um, as you were um, conceiving this, um, you know, when you think about so many people who, um, either start a nonprofit or for profit. Uh, I've heard motivational speakers say that our um, our cemeteries are full of are full of some of the most um, rich dreams that people never had the courage to act on. Um, so I'm really interested in knowing for those people who act on them, what's the difference? How, what makes you act on a dream that somebody else would let all the negative thinking? Oh, I, I could never afford to do it. It'd be too hard for my family. Um, where would I get the money? How would I make this happen? Blah 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 blah. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. What's what? What do you think was the difference for you? Why? How were you able to make it happen? You know, when we talk to the people, and I do get a lot of people who call and they ask about how I started the organization and what was different. You really have to have courage because change is difficult. You, know, you have to be willing to sacrifice because, like you said earlier, you know, I, it was a very good paying job, but you know, my passion was somewhere else, and my need to serve others was stronger than my need to make lots of money. Now, they say money isn't everything, which is true, but it does make everything easier in terms of paying bills and things like that. So you have to be realistic about your expectations. You know, I had put away money for this, just for this type of event, just 
should I want to do something else with my life? Should I want to make a change? So my wife and I had talked about this, and we had said for years, should I want to make a change in terms of um, you know what type of job I had or the direction that our lives were going? But you still, when you have children that are in college, you still have to have the confidence in yourself. And I think that's where um, some people, you know, they, they just they can't, they don't have that confidence. They they can actually make it work. And that fear of failure prevents a lot of people from moving forward. So at some point, you know, you have to get over that fear and you have to take a risk. And, you know, success and great success usually does not come without taking some type of risk. So I think that's where most people struggle is that fear just keeps them from moving forward. So you have to find it within your heart and within your gut to say, we can do this. And then you make the leap. But then you also have to be realistic. If it's not working out, if you don't have funding, if you know you can't uh-huh. pay your bills, at some point, then you probably need to make a change. But I'd say don't be afraid. To, don't be afraid to try. Because that's so. Did you have a backup plan, or you just knew that at some point, if this isn't working, I'm going to go back to the private sector? You know, that was my backup plan. I knew if it wasn't working, if it didn't catch on, I could always go back to the private sector, and I had plans for that. You know, um, but my gut says. I wasn't going back. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I always knew that I could get another job. I always knew that you know I could start over somewhere else. But you have to be willing to take that risk. And uh, you know, I've always kind of been. I've always been a risk taker, though. You know, I left high school. I left home two weeks after I completed high school. So to go on to, to private school, you know, to um, get ready for college. So yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people. And that's usually what you see. The difference between the folks who take the leap and those who don't. They usually there's some risk taking in there. So uh-huh. that kind of makes so- a difference. And, and, and in terms of the startup capital you needed, it was pretty much your own. You, you just saved for it and you used your own funds. That's correct. Um, I used my own money. I, I'd save for it. I knew that the money was there. I knew about how long I would have. You know, should, for some reason, it didn't work out. My wife and I talked about how long, you know, we could try this before I'd need to do something else. But that's where, you know, my startup capital came from. It came from my personal bank account, which, you know, a lot of people don't do that. And, you know, most people don't have those resources. I was just lucky enough and fortunate enough to have the opportunity to use my own money, which gave me some freedom as well to kind of make decisions and make changes as I saw fit. Everyone's not going to be in that situation. You know, sometimes you have to go out and you have to seek funding. And I would say for anyone who doesn't have, you know, access to capital, but they want to take this type of initiative um, or undertake this type of initiative, you really need to think about your personal finances because it's going to be very difficult to be successful if you can't pay your own bills. So you really have to kind of think about how are you going to finance your activities and maybe start looking at, you know, reaching out to funders or potential funders, you know, before you make the big leap. But uh, you should always think about where the capital is going to come from. And how long was it then before you you got things started and and you were to the point where you had enough um, meat, I guess you will, that you could go to a funder and say, see what I'm doing, this is working, and fund me? I mean, how long did you have to fund it yourself before you were to the point where you could attract those charitable investments? For us, uh, for Whispering Roots, it was basically a new, this is a new concept. So when I started talking about the concept of using aquaponics to feed hungry people, most people didn't understand what aquaponics was or how, you know, you could grow plants with fresh fit or with fish water. So I really, it took me more than a year just to really start getting any traction from the time that I left. Um, but once it started to catch on, once we got our first school that we were working with and we built our first system and we started walking people through the system and having the kids explain what they were doing, that's when we really started to attract attention. But I, I didn't actively seek any type of uh, third-party funding until, well, actually our first grant was not even something that I, I was seeking. Someone wrote a grant for us because they liked the work that we were doing. 
they, you know, they felt the passion. They saw that we were having success in schools, and we had different partners that we'd brought on board. And I think that was probably 2012 before we took any type of third-party funds. But that's because you know I'd planned it that way, and we had you know money from my bank account, so I really wasn't seeking any third-party funds to do the work. Um, so that's when we first actually started um, receiving funds. But I think probably around you know, mid-2012 is when we really would have been able to go out to funders if we really wanted to and start asking for money. And you know, right now we're at the point where you know, we are going to start seeking larger third-party funds because we're being asked to expand the organization. You know, we thought perhaps we'd have another year or so before we'd really need to make it much larger, but we're getting requests um, from lots of organizations for assistance. In order to do that, we need to make our, our facility, you know, get our facility up and make it a lot larger than we initially thought we'd need to be. And, you know, going back to your vision, you know, from where you started to where you are now and looking back, can you see was your, was your vision fully baked once you launched or was it mostly there and you've continued to sort of build on it? Actually, it was an idea. And here's what I tell people. You know, when we started, when I started the organization, it was an idea. It was an idea that I needed to help feed hungry people because I'm a firm believer that economic status shouldn't determine whether or not people have access to healthy food. So I knew that I had a skill set that I thought could be valuable, but I didn't know where that skill set would fit within the community. So um, the, it was an idea that then became a project that then became a nonprofit. And the way that it went from the you know, idea to nonprofit is that I started spending time. I started asking questions in the community. I started getting involved with community organizations, started talking to people about the needs of the community. And then what I tried to do was align my vision with the needs of the community to make sure that we were actually serving a need. Because you see a lot of times when folks come in, they want to do something, they want to help, but perhaps the skill set or the idea, the concept that they have isn't right for that community. So I wanted to make sure that our ideas and the concept that I came up with was right for you know, underserved communities. So I spent a lot of time uh, meeting with people and going out and visiting with kids and time in schools and talking to teachers and talking, about, talking to community organizers about what the community needed. And then I aligned the vision with that need. So over time, where I thought we, what I thought we would be doing actually did change. You know, I thought initially that we would just be growing food and providing food through some outlet, but then I found that the need was not only food, but the need was education. You know, the need was community development. So then, you know, the idea and the vision kind of morphed to meet the need of the community. So, yeah, it's, and it changes constantly. I mean, the core base of what we do, growing healthy food, feeding hungry people, and educating the community, that doesn't change. But what does change is how we execute our mission. Yeah. So which is more your sort of your strategic plan. That's exactly right. Now, do you, how, how big is your board? There's only three. We wow. have a small board, um, and we did that by design to start. Because uh, one thing that I've learned, you know, I've ran organizations, I started organizations from scratch, and knowing going in that people were not going to understand what we needed to do and that we need to be able to change quickly, you know, there were only three. There were three of us, and we'd sit down and talk about where the organization needed to go, what we need to accomplish, and it made it very easy to change tack. So if something that we were doing wasn't working or if it wasn't right, then we would just talk about it and then change direction so that we could find a program that worked. And what that allowed us to do, uh, and we really operated under the radar. Like I said, we weren't out seeking third-party funds. We were really just trying to find a program that was actually effective in getting our mission in line and realizing, you know, what the vision could be. And once we did that, then we said we'd start looking for others. But there were only, it was a small group of people which made it really easy to make decisions and really easy to make change very quickly. 
But you can't always do that. You know, if you're in a really large organization, and I've worked in very large organizations, like I said, I've been in the military, I've been in the corporate world, and sometimes decision-making is a little bit slower. But what we found was, you know, the need is so great and the demand was so great that we needed to be able to change very quickly. So we kept the board small and we kept our group of advisors small, and then we just did what we needed to do to get the work done. Now, do you have any employees yet, or are you, are you the you it? There's me. <laughs> and then there are volunteers. And, of course, you know, there's my wife who has a master's in education, you know, helps us with our curriculum design, and then other family members that assist. And then there are volunteers that work in all of our satellite sites. And then that's how we get all of our work done. Because a lot of our work done, initial work, was all done in the school districts, in the classroom, teaching what we call STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, teaching that to kids as we were also teaching them about healthy food and healthy eating, healthy practices. So um, that's where we started we wanted to see what we really thought we would need in order to serve the need of the community. And what we found is, you know, we thought that we would need a small facility that would serve a few people. Most of our work would be, you know, the hub-and-spoke method where we'd have a hub and then we'd do all of our work out on these satellite sites. But what we were hearing back from the community, they loved that, but now they wanted something much larger where they could start sending people directly to us. So that, start, that made us have to start thinking about changing our tact and changing our strategy. So that's what we've been in the process of doing is designing a larger facility to support you know, the needs of the community. I think something that um, was unanticipated was the need. I, I thought there was a need out there. You know, we'd read the stories. We'd seen the numbers that talked about, um, you know, unemployment and the numbers talking about access to healthy food and how many kids um, are, don't have access to healthy food in the underserved communities and in and around Omaha. So I thought the need was there. But once we actually started engaging the community, the demand was much higher sure. yeah. than we thought. So. Well, we are going to take another short break, and when we return, we will talk with Greg about how Whispering Roots, continue to talk with him about how Whispering Roots has evolved and any challenges Greg is having now or sees having managing the growth um, because of all this success. So please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. the boardroom to you voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We are back with more on Leadership Matters, bringing you greetings again from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Thank you once again to my co-host, Dr. Cheryl G., for joining me today. My pleasure. And with us, and with us we also have Greg Fripp, our founder and, the founder and executive director of Whispering Roots. So, uh, Greg, um, before we went to the break, uh, we were talking a little bit more about um, just some of the issues and um, characteristics and um, personal and, and both um, from the terms of the support that you had and the resource that you accessed to develop your um, organization. Um, I think it would be interesting as we were talking on break to spend a little bit of time uh, maybe hearing about how this is, how what you're doing is actually being seen in our community. Um, I don't know that people listening would be clear that right now you don't have a big building where things are happening that people can come to and see, but instead the way you're implementing is in partnership with schools and other agencies. So maybe if you could give us a couple of examples, and I know um, uh, Cheryl um, has some um, questions and things too, I think, or some um, uh, comments that I think might be helpful. Sure. When you know, we first started the organization, when I was thinking about the vision, about how we could implement you know, an idea that we would need the space and we'd have to build these tanks, which we're going to have to do in the future. But what I quickly realized through working with uh, University of Nebraska-Omaha, their service learning organization, um, Omaha Public Schools, and I quickly realized that the immediate need was for us to actually be on-site in the community, you know, having first-hand account, getting first-hand feedback from these um, partner organizations that we were working with so we could understand what we needed to build long-term. So, you know, we spent almost the last two years just establishing these relationships. And if that's one thing that I'd like to make sure that, you know, the listeners understand is one of the reasons why I think we've been successful is because I was willing and the organization was willing to go out and seek input, you know, from our partners, our collaborators to understand what their needs were to make sure that we were aligned and make sure that our vision met their need. Uh, but we have relationships with, like I said, Omaha Public Schools. We work with uh, University of Nebraska Omaha quite a bit. Um, we also establish relationships with the local community colleges. You know, we have Metropolitan Community College in Omaha. We have Iowa Western Community College. Because in the long-term vision, we know that we're going to need to be bigger. And in order for us to be able to sustain and grow the amount of food that we're going to need to be able to bring to these communities, we were going to need people who were trained. So we reached out to you know the learn higher or the institutions of higher learning. We reached out to our community colleges and said, "This is our vision. This is what we think we're going to need in order to support the growth." And what they said was, "We'd love to be on board." And so we started working with them. And I think that's important. You know, not 
no one person has all the answers. You have to be willing to listen to the input from others. At the end of the day, if you're the leader of the organization, you have to make the tough decisions, but you also have to be willing to listen because some of these ideas, you know, they're absolutely fantastic and they can help your organization become more efficient. So um, we have great relationships there. In addition to organizations within Nebraska, you know, some of my subject matter experts are actually outside of Nebraska. So I went and I found some of the best people that are in aquaponics and hydroponics and aquaculture and got them on board by talking about the vision. And one of the things that they said was they could feel the energy and they like that, the energy, and they can see that this is going to move forward. So we have relationships with Texas A&M University, University of Arizona. We have folks on the East Coast that I talk to on a daily, weekly basis. We exchange emails and thoughts. So um, that's how the organization has become successful. You know, you, as a leader, you have to drive the ideas. You have to drive the organization forward. You have to make the tough decisions. But then you also have to be willing to listen to the input from others and then assimilate that into your plan. Sure. And then, like, you know, as you partner, let's say, I know one of the first – um, or at least ones that I'm aware of, first partnerships was with King Science Center, which is a public, um, is it a middle school now? It's a middle school, King Science Center. It's a public middle school, middle school in a, and actually in a high poverty area. It's a magnet school, so they draw kids from all over. Um, it used to be, um, I think they would use some sort of a lottery system to see if your kid could get in there, but it was considered one of the best schools. And you went there and implemented some level of partnership. Maybe you could talk about that as an example. Right. We chose King Science Magnet School because it is in the heart of one of the most impoverished you know, African-American communities in the United States. So that was our test case. We figured if we can make it work there in a very distressed neighborhood, then we were on the right track. So through the partnership with University of Nebraska Omaha, you know, Service Learning, um, who's supported by Building Bright Futures, and then also with the folks from Omaha Public Schools, who I got to tell you, they were very much on board, very open-minded in terms of trying something new to see if we could truly affect the education and enhance the educational opportunities for children that are in this environment, these environments. And they were very much partners. We all sat down and decided that we would start with one system. We'd build one small aquaponic system in one classroom and see if we could make the program work. And if it was successful there, then we would expand the program into additional schools, additional classrooms. Um, so we thought that maybe by you know 2014 that we would have you know an aquaponic system running from elementary school all the way up through the two-year level. But the program was so successful, starting with that one, that we actually achieved that status in December of uh, 2012. By December of 2012, way ahead of schedule, we had aquaponic systems running from elementary school all the way up through the two-year level. So um, that's where I was saying the demand was so much more than we anticipated. We thought we'd have a few systems running, and then we'd have until 2014, but now we're pretty much there. So um, the learning curve is very steep. But um, well, through that, how does it work? Like when you went into King Science Center, how how did it work at the student level? What were how did you engage with the kids, and what what did they do? How what is their role? Yeah, the role of the kids is absolutely critical. We come in, we bring you know the set of materials, and we bring the knowledge, and then the children actually help us assemble. So the kids actually get to build, they get to drill, which is part of the learning process of science, technology, engineering, and math. Is the kids they do all of this. We show them how to do it. We brought students down from Omaha North High School. The high school students came down to assist. So they were helping the younger students, 
build these systems, and then on a daily basis, the students are responsible for running the systems, for feeding the fish, um, for taking care of the plants, for germinating the seed, for harvesting the plants, and then they have a relationship with local food banks and local nonprofit organizations where they will donate a portion of what they grow back to these organizations, to the food banks so that other people can partake in what they grow. But the kids, that's critical. They need to have some type of ownership in the process. So when they come in every day and their job is to feed the fish or to take care of the plants, they know that that's their system. And what they don't realize at the time is that not only are they growing this healthy food, but they're learning chemistry, they're learning uh, the physics of water flow, you know, they're learning biology, and the teachers enjoy it because they can have, teach a lesson on, say, you know, pH or something that's dealing with chemistry, and then they can send the kids over to the system to test the water and check for ammonia level or pH level in the water, and the kids learn. It's hands-on experiential learning, and I think that's what's really making the difference. And all the while that we're doing this, they're learning about healthy eating habits and getting access to healthy food. Because for some of these kids, they may have never seen fresh basil growing in a system. You know, they may not get fresh lettuce or fresh tomatoes or cucumbers, and the systems can grow all of these things. But these kids, I mean, talk about eating habits changing. Once they start growing it themselves and have ownership, then, you know, the idea of changing the way that people think about food in these communities that may not have access to fresh vegetables, you know, we're, we're changing lives. We're changing minds, hearts, and lives. Well, and that was going to be my question. You know, what, what reaction are you getting from the kids? The kids absolutely love it. Uh, we thought that, you know, the kids might be excited about it since we were going to have fish. When you start having fish flopping around and, you know, plants growing, we thought that we would get a good response. The response was much greater than we thought it was going to be. I mean, we have third graders now that are growing produce and fish in a classroom that's better than what you can literally buy in a grocery store. The quality is much better. So, uh, and the kids... We, I, you know, I'll give you an example. We were just at an event where we were out in Omaha, and we were, they block off a street, and we have all these thousands of people who came down to see this event, and we had set up a small tent at this community event, and we had children from our program showing up with their parents, and they were explaining how an aquaponic system works to their parents. And these were elementary wow. school and middle school kids. <laughs> and the parents were shocked that their children could talk about pH levels and parts per million. You know, you've got a fifth or sixth grader who's telling their parents that they need to have 80 parts per million, you know, of nitrate in their water. And it was shocking to these parents. And they would look at me, ask, you know, expecting me to say something different. And I was telling them, they're exactly right. They know what they're doing. And so I think it's shocking to people when they think that our children, you know, when we talk about science, technology, engineering, and math, that well, they're saying that the United States is behind we can teach, our children can learn. You know, we just need to think a little bit differently about how we educate them. And I think that's what was really surprising to a lot of people who are involved in the program at the knowledge level that these children have and what they're actually capable of assimilating. It's just, it's incredible. It shocks me sometimes. That's awesome. Cheryl, do you, uh, what questions do you have for Greg? I know we were talking on the break about how this connects what we've been talking about today with some of the information that you were um, talking about with Linda in last week's show. Yeah, actually, um, as I listen to the conversation, I hear it as a great case study and a wonderful example of creating an inspirational vision and a foundation for successful leadership. I think at the top of the hour, Greg, you shared what you hoped for. Just in a, um, a bullet, can you tell us what did you hope for when you actually started this, um, this venture? What was the hope? The hope was that we could feed hungry people. Okay. And then the opportunity that you saw in the community was what? The opportunity that I saw was that there were what we call food deserts, people that didn't have access to healthy food, 
and that we could then go in and fulfill that need. Yeah, and so what was beautiful as the example in this case study, as we talked about last week, was taking the passion that Greg had, and he combined that passion with what he saw as a need or an opportunity, and from that created a hope and a vision. And what he's done, it, it, would, have, it would have just blown away and, and turned into nothing if we hadn't done what now um, John has done a great job of of having Greg share, and that is his stepping out, looking beyond what was to what was possible in the vision that he created with regards to being able to to service and feed the community and meet that need. And so um, I'm loving the fact that then you have the faith to make decisions, to put together a plan and take action to move forward and toward that vision. And you know, I think Martin Luther King said a true leader is not a searcher of consensus, but a molder of consensus. And so along the way, you've enrolled others in this vision. And I think it's a great case study of really how creating an inspirational vision and enrolling others in this um, this vision is a fabulous foundation for um, successful leadership. So loving the case study and loving what's been shared thus far. Thank you. Oh, the great comments, Cheryl. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I, I, I especially uh, was drawn to, the, to the, the hard work that you did, Greg, in, in going to the community and getting their input. Once you, you had this idea and this passion and you, you thought it could work, you saw the, the, the opportunity, you had your hope, but you went and verified it before you really dug in and got people bought in and enrolled them, as Cheryl was saying. So um, unbelievably, we have to take another short break, but when we return, we will talk uh, – um, with Greg about what he's learned from a leadership uh, perspective since he's launched, launched Whispering Roots, since we're all about leadership matters here. And so please stay tuned and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858 244 8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back to Leadership Matters, bringing you greetings again from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Thank you to my co-host, Dr. Cheryl G., for joining me today. My pleasure. And also to Greg Fripp, who is the founder and executive director of Whispering Roots. Thank you so much, Greg. You've been doing an excellent job. Very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. So, um... You know, one of the things I think we need to talk about before the show wraps up at the end of this segment is um, sort of what you've learned from this process so far that you will take with you, you know, throughout the remainder of your career, which I'm assuming will be leading this organization on to greater and greater um, successes. You know, what I've really learned is that hard work, there is no substitute for hard work. You know, if you're someone who's starting an organization, be it a nonprofit or for-profit organization, you have to be willing to put in the time and do all the jobs that other people aren't around to do, especially if it's a small organization. Um, but what I've learned is hard, hard work, perseverance, and then having that passion. Uh, that's made the difference in terms of driving Whispering Roots forward. So you see many people who say they want to start things, but that passion's not there. If you don't have a passion for what you're doing, and if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort that it takes to make it through the tough days, because you're going to have a lot of tough days, especially you know, in the startup phase, if that's not there, then you really need to be doing something else. So, um, but for me, that's, that's it. That's what we do. We need to be passionate about what we're doing. We need to be willing to put in the time, and we need to be willing to do all the jobs that it takes to get the work done. You know, and um, it seems like you have a lot of the, just naturally have a lot of the sort of leadership skills required to pull something like this off, because I think of you know, the need to, just to be able to create a vision, to think strategically and analytically and sequentially, to put all the pieces in place in the right order. And I think about um, how you need to have a constituency that you develop over time that you can use to help, um, you know, open doors for you or to contribute ideas that you can add to your own. Um, but have you, have you found any areas where there was some leadership skill needed that you didn't really feel like you naturally had that you had to rely on others to help you with? You know... It, yeah, really, it was from a technical standpoint. I mean, I, my background is management information systems. I'm a computer guy, so I'm really good at taking the technical piece and then converting that into, you know, common language that everybody can understand. But as far as, you know, teaching the technical piece, I hadn't spent a lot of time doing that. Um, so what I had to do was find some people that were really good, you know, scientists, really good, you know, educators, and then, you know, engage them as well as doing curriculum development. I mean, I understand, you know, how to teach, I understand, you know, how to get the passion across and how to bring these ideas to life. But what I found is when you're dealing with school children, you know, they write curriculum. You know, in order for a teacher to be effective and for the data work, they write curriculum around their events. So that's why I engage like my wife and these teachers that are really good, these experts in their field who write curriculum all day. And so this is, you know, I'm not a curriculum writer but I know how to find people who are really good curriculum writers and let them do what they do best. And I think that has made a world of difference in terms of uh, the organization being effective operating in a school environment. And as leaders, I think that's something that people need to understand. You need to recognize where your weaknesses are and then figure out 
how do you how do you accommodate that? What can you do to take care of that area? And I'm one. I just go out and find people who do it better than I do, and collaborate with those folks. You know, as I think about our conversation um, today, and um, try to synthesize that a little bit for our listeners. What advice would you offer to public or nonprofit leaders who are thinking about starting something new or taking on an uh, taking an existing program and you know, or organization and moving it in a new direction? You know, making who are on the verge of taking a leap of faith. Maybe even somebody who's listening to the show right now. What would you? Uh, what would, what piece of advice would you tell them? Like, if you could do this one thing, it'll make all the difference. You might hear this you know, from other people, but it rings true. Do your homework. Always. Do your homework. Do your research to make sure that you understand exactly what it is that you're getting into because there are always going to be curveballs that come your way. Things are not always going to go exactly as you plan. So always make sure that you're doing your homework and always be willing to listen and to learn. I never stop learning. Every night I'm reading an article, and even when you think you know everything, somebody always knows more. So do your homework. Make sure that you're prepared, and then expect to have problems. Nothing ever goes as planned. So be expecting that, and once it happens, then it's not going to be this roadblock. It'll be a hiccup. It'll be a bump in the road. It's not going to be a showstopper. So do your homework and be prepared you know, for the unexpected events. And, and how important is it to have cheerleaders? Oh, you know, you've got to have that. <laughs> you always have to have people that understand and that can help you, because there are going to be days when you ask yourself, you know, should I really be doing this? I know when we started our when I started our organization, you know, there so many doors were literally closed in my face or phone. You know, I'd call phone people would hang up because they didn't understand the concept. You have to have someone that, when you're having those bad days, who understands and can say, "Stay with it." You know, everybody needs someone that can cheerlead. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's very critically important. And my wife is great for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we we hadn't talked a lot about what some of the challenges were, and um, you, you'd hate people to go away thinking, yeah, everybody you called thought, what a great idea, and they just hopped right on board, but that wasn't actually the case. All right, I can tell you for the first six months, I don't think we had anybody that was interested in what we were doing. Really? Six months it took? Mm-hmm. I think in the first six months, um, when we were talking about aquaponics and not calling people, there really were people the people that I thought needed to hear about really weren't interested in what I was saying because it was such a new concept and it would be, it was asking them to make a change, change from the status quo. But now those very same people who in the first six months were not taking my calls or calling the organization asking us if we can come and talk, if we can come up with concepts and ideas for them. So, um, yeah, you got to have a thick skin. You got to, you got to keep working. You know, no is a business refusal. Keep going. So what does the future hold for your organization, Greg, before we go? Uh, we're growing. Uh, the future is that we have to scale up, and we have to do it a lot faster than we thought we were going to have to do it, which is good and bad. Uh, the good thing is that the demand is there. Um, so in order to meet that demand, we need to be larger. Uh, the bad is that we need to be larger quicker. So um, areas that we thought we'd be able to operate, where we thought we'd build our first facility, we had to leave those behind to look for more space. Um, but we're on the grow. So that's good in that uh, we're going to be affecting more people will be touching more lives, feeding more hungry people, and educating more children. And how That's soon do you think thing. before you'll have your facility? Uh, we are hoping to actually break ground within the next six months. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that fast. Yes, we actually uh, received some really good news you know, this week regarding some land that we were looking at. So um, that's really going to help us move forward. And you've, and you've started the fundraising? And now we have started the fundraising.
<laughs> so, Are you getting good reception so far? So far, yes, uh, in areas that we weren't expecting. Um, so that's something that's been quite exciting as well. And we haven't even formalized, you know, our capital campaign. It's just been one-off conversations. So. Oh, sure. And are you are you doing all that, or is your board actually helping you with the fundraising component? Uh, the board has been helping with that. Um, a lot of the issue that I ran into is that most of the people that we deal with I've met with personally, so it's easier for me just to pick up the phones because I've met them over the last few years uh, as the organization has been coming, in, coming to life. So they're people that I know. Well, good luck to you, Greg. I- Thank you so much for um, being on the show and for sharing your vision with um, Cheryl and I and with our listeners. Um, I, I obviously know you and got to know you because of a project that we're doing in um, North Omaha where we'll be, uh, at, uh, once the building and the renovation part is over, we'll be developing large community gardens and, um, and a greenhouse that will include a, a large scalable um, aquaponics um, component that you'll be helping us to develop. And through that process of meeting you, I, I hadn't heard about the work you were doing until we started that a couple of years ago. And um, I, can, I can vouch for everybody that you are a person with vision and with passion. It's hard to deny. And you've created a lot of excitement in our agency. And everyone's really looking forward to when we can get to that phase of the project and actually get started. And um, a couple, I guess it's been about a year ago now, we actually implemented one of your units in another program, uh, an after-school summer school program for girls. And I can say there it's just been wildly successful. The girls absolutely love it. So thank you for what you're doing to help our community. Um, Cheryl, do you have any uh, parting comments or questions? You know, I would simply say thank you to Greg, a, a wonderful case study example of an inspirational vision that has laid a fabulous um, foundation for successful leadership. And um, just kudos to you and best to you. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. Um, I love having the opportunity to speak to a format like this. And hopefully, you know, if there's someone out there that's listening, that's thinking about doing this type of work or starting their own nonprofit or for-profit, it's say, you know, take the leap. Take the leap of faith. And uh, you never want to look back and say that you wish you had tried, you know. So this has been great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, thanks, uh, thanks Greg, and thanks as well to my co-host, Dr. Cheryl G. And thank, thank you, you to our listening audience for tuning in. Please be sure to join us every Wednesday at at, um, 2 p.m. Pacific Time or 4 p.m. Central Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.